Admiral of Affirmations, the Bishop of Breakthrough, the Doctor of Declarations, Dan McCollum. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you are definitely the best introducer in the world. I mean, I think I've been to 74 countries so far. So I, I think I could say this with some authority. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, uh, I'm here because I love these guys. I, I don't do many conferences because I'm busy doing my stuff. <laughs> but actually, my wife is taking uh, the Wealth with God course because she manages our finances and, um, and our investments and so forth. And uh, very thankful for it. But in addition to the Wealth with God material, honestly, Jim, you are one of my favorite speakers in the world. You are literally in my top speakers in the world. You, you are. I'm blessed. I, I have fun. And I learn so much every time you speak. So you guys are, you know, sometimes you don't know how blessed you are. You, you kind of miss it because it's right in front of you. And uh, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, praise you, Jesus. Hmm. Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active and powerful. Lord, you know I believe it's a sin to be boring. Because it misrepresents the most creative being in the universe. So let your word be among us today as living, active, and powerful. Lord, may it awaken spirit and life within us. And may it further your kingdom and glorify your son. That's what we ask for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, this seems like a strange message here, but I'm just going to go for it. I want to talk today about the... Uh, the power of the resurrection um, in us personally. And, and Megan, this is somewhat inspired by our conversation, but <clears throat> let me tell you a little my history with resurrection, okay? Uh, since you prophesied that I would tell a Cletty story, let me tell one today. Um, we had this same pastor down in Cincinnati area, and uh, I served under him for 12 years. Uh, we were during a time of revival for five of those years where we had service every night for six months. And then we had it five nights a week for five years. And I was the worship leader and youth pastor. And so I led about 32 hours of worship a week. Um, <laughs> I learned a lot, <laughs> but uh, also, um, Pastor Cletty would have lots of outside speakers from the area, but he would hardly ever have the staff speak, and you know, kind of growing up in that as a young man, you're like, man, like, come on, let me in the big leagues, you know? <laughs> Let me take a swing, you know. And uh, so one day, we had two services on Sunday. We had our uh, more conservative service, if you could call that. But it was more like three songs in a sermonette for Christianettes kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'd have our kind of everything but snakes service <clears throat> after that. So I would lead worship for both of those. And one day he asked me to lead in the first, to speak in the first service. And I'm like, you know, it's, a, it's only one hour, the whole service with worship and speaking. And I was still supposed to do the worship. But I was like, I fasted, I prayed. I'm like, this is going to be the best service ever. You know, like, and he is going to hear about it. And he's going to ask me, you know, like just kind of that young ambition kind of thing but mixed with prayer and fasting. <laughs> so I finish our couple of songs, and I step up to speak. And when I do, a lady in the second row or third row 
um, on the left-hand side, she drops dead. And, and there's a nurse there. And she checks her out. And she looks up at me. She's like, she's gone. <laughs> Not what you want to see. Like, <clears throat> you know, this was going to be the best service ever. <laughs> People are dying to get in, evidently. <clears throat> I didn't know what to do. I was just a young man. They don't train you in this in Bible college, what to do when people die. <clears throat> and it kind of, you know, disrupted the vibe. <laughs> so I went back stage and grabbed the phone to make, a, you know, call 911. <laughs> it's like what we do. Well, when I came out, there was a teenage girl standing on one of the chairs, and she was screaming over the body. Satan, you can't have her. I rebuke the power of death. Satan, you can't have her. Well, we don't normally do that in the conservative service. <laughs> you know, that, that's second service material. <laughs> I'm the youth pastor as well as the worship leader, so I kind of know what's going on because this is her grandma that's died. So I go up to comfort her. I go, Sarah, it's okay. She's in heaven. She's with Jesus. And she turns to me. I'm not kidding. She goes, get behind me, Satan. She calls me Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and she goes back to screaming. Round about this time, I'm thinking of career opportunities. It's obvious my ministry is over. This is the worst service ever. And I'm thinking about real estate, you know. Really. And then I know where my help comes from. I hear the sound of sirens in the distance. I'm like, oh, it'll be over soon. And uh, this is way before they taught sensitivity training. And uh, so they come bursting through the door with a gurney and say something tactful like, where's the body? You know, yeah, I know. Right about that time, now grandma had been dead at least 20 minutes, maybe longer, but I know for sure 20. Oh, no, definitely longer, but anyway. And when they say, where's the body, grandma coughs and stands up. And so there they are. I'm like, uh, over there? So they go check her out, and um, now this woman was elderly, and she's from Kentucky. She kind of has that mountain thing going, and, uh, and so the guys go, you know, we can't find anything wrong with you, but we'd like to take you back for observation, and she says this. I'm not kidding. She goes, Sonny, God just raised me from the dead. I think I'm going to stay and praise him for a while. <laughs> Best service ever. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> that was the first time that I saw somebody raised from the dead. But not the last. <laughs> because something happened to me that day. I met Jesus as the resurrection and the life. See, the question isn't really, do you know Jesus? The question is, how do you know Jesus? Because however you know him is what gets unlocked in you. I was raised Presbyterian. <laughs> and, and there's lots of good Presbyterian churches out there. This just didn't happen to be one of them. <laughs> and I say that because they were very kind, loving people, but they didn't preach the gospel, you know? You'd be staggered to know how many churches in America don't preach the gospel, and many who do don't preach the real one. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I was, I was raised Presbyterian, and then 
we finally got a pastor who was born again. Our pastors all growing up didn't believe in salvation by faith through grace. And, and uh, so finally we got one that was born again. And, and my whole family got saved. And, and, uh, and I got so on fire for Jesus. I was 15 years old and uh, got on fire for Jesus. I led in the next two years about 2,000 people to Jesus. Yeah, I know. Just, I couldn't help it. The difference between religion and relationship was so great that I could not contain the joy of my salvation. But, you know, during that time, nobody ever got healed because I didn't know that Jesus did that. Like, I didn't know. I I knew he was able because we still prayed for people. Like, we'd have this time where people share, you know, stand and share prayers and concerns. And, And it was like... A support group or like a complaint session or something, you know what I mean? Brother so and so, and then we'd all pray, but we never believed that anything would happen and 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 that was supported by our experience. Like when you don't pray with faith, you don't see anything because you don't have faith in anything. But it was kind of like, you know, we believe that God could heal, but it was kind of like the lottery, you know, like you could win. But, you know, like millions of people, you know, buy a ticket. And that's what prayer felt like to me is it's like buying a lottery ticket. And if you're the lucky one, God will. Ba-ding! And, and so that's how we prayed. Maybe that's how you prayed before. But then something happened to me again in that time. See, Salvation was the only thing of Jesus that was coming out of me because I only knew him as Savior. That's the only way I knew him. But when I found out that Jesus, it's not just that Jesus can heal, it's that his name is Jehovah Rapha. It's who he is. Healing is who he is, not just what he does. And, and as soon as I realized that, I figured out... I don't have to convince him to do who he is. I just have to be in the place where he's doing it. You know, like, I, I just have to realize the healer's here and let him have his way. And, and suddenly, I mean, we were in a meeting in, in, uh, in Fiji, Suva, Fiji, and uh, we saw 32 blind people healed in one meeting. It was, it was so cool. Um, I remember this lady walking up the, the steps to give testimony, and there was about a hundred voice choir behind us. It was about a seven thousand seat auditorium. And this hundred voice Fijian choir. I mean, they're incredible. And she's walking up the stage to give testimony, and and on the way she just freaks out. She's like, "I see my son, I see my son." She's been blind for twenty years. And one of the first things she sees is her son up there worshiping in the choir. And I'm just like, God, you're so good. But see, whatever you see in Jesus gets unlocked in you. That's why worship is actually a discipleship tool. That while we're beholding him, we are becoming like him. Because whatever we're seeing in him is getting unlocked in us. But the key is actually... Many people in worship acknowledge his attributes, but they don't access them. And, and you have to not just acknowledge who God is. You have to access who God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, that's what happened to me that day regarding resurrection. Is I knew God could raise people from the dead. I mean, you know that because... All of Christianity is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul even said, if, he, if he's not raised, we're stupid. Like, if he's not raised, we've wasted our life. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're deceived. But here's the weird thing. Like, we all believe that because that's the way in, but we don't live with a resurrection reality in our life. We don't really know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. So we live with so much death and so much decay and so much lack and and so much scarcity 
because we don't know him as the resurrection and the life. And that shifted for me that day. It began to shift. Of course, I, I, I'm not perfected in this by any means. I mean, there are many people I've prayed for that have not come back. Um, but I, I was in Krasnoyarsk, Siberia a few years ago. <laughs> it's the capital of Siberia. It's bigger. Siberia is bigger than the United States just all by itself. It's this huge huge place, and uh, we were in the capital, and a few months earlier, I had been in St. Petersburg, Russia, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and you know, I'm a Cold War kid, so I mean, all my thoughts about Russia were kind of rocky motivated, (laughs) rocky movie motivated, and you know, just all this stuff of like, oh, there are these you know, heathen communists, all this kind of stuff. And I get there, and I'm on, I I was in Moscow one time on Red Square, and there's this 200-foot statue of the saint who brought Christianity to Russia on Red Square. I'm like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow this in Washington, (laughs) D.C. It's on Red Square in Moscow. It's like, hmm, maybe some of the things I've been told are wrong. But anyway, I was preaching in St. Petersburg, and it's this, St. Petersburg is in the Arctic Circle, okay? It's cold. And, um, and so I'm inside about, oh, maybe a 2,000-seat auditorium talking to these pastors, and I say, revival is coming to this nation. And when I do, I'm not kidding. I have the picture on my phone. A butterfly appears inside the building. Like, poof, it appears, flies over, and lands on my finger, and stays there. This blue and black South American butterfly in the Arctic Circle of Russia, inside a building. (laughs) And so, (laughs) I just just standing there like... (laughs) It's not like I knew this was happening or caused it to happen or anything. I'm just like, whoa, this is a sign and a wonder. All of a sudden, a guy stands up, and he goes, I could see. He was born blind in one eye, and he could see. And and then in 90 seconds, about 70 miracles broke out. Just boom, 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 boom. (laughs) It was pretty cool. (laughs) I didn't do anything. And uh, so anyway, when I was in Siberia, there was quite a crowd because of the whole butterfly thing. <laughs> and so I was just, I was just sharing some opening comments because actually I was supposed to be speaking with Chris Vallotton and he lost his passport. So it was a three-day conference and he didn't show up. <laughs> and so... I just kind of, hey, I'm the guy you don't know, and and, <clears throat> and just sharing a little bit. And I, I was just talking about how we've established resurrection teams in, uh, in different cities around the world. And when I shared it, I just felt a leap in the room, a leap of faith. And I, I kept talking because it took me a little while. I'm slow, but I'm persistent. And uh, so then I was like, oh, I should go back to that. So I went back. I invited any pastors in the room who felt like they had a primary call to resurrection and they were willing to pray for 100 dead people before they gave up. Um, I said, if, if you'll make that commitment, I'll pray for you. And uh, so we brought them forward, about 200 pastors, and the, and the Lord just, poo, he just mowed them over in the glory. And, and that was fun. And then we went on and did something else. Well, the next day, we found out that two people had been raised from the dead within those 24 hours, that they had actually, (laughs) on the way home, yeah, on the way home, uh, there was a car accident, and one of the pastors got out to check on them, and the, the emergency vehicles were already there. It was already blocked off, 
And uh, they said, he said, I'm a pastor, can I help? And they said, well, you can do last rites because they're already dead. And he was walking over to do last rites, and he remembered, pray for at least, a, <laughs> you know, 100 dead people before you give up. Oh, my God, I got to do this. I got to do this. And so he just, you know, he leans over the body, and he just prays a simple prayer. Didn't even know what to pray. Prayed a simple prayer, and boom, person springs to life. The EMTs are totally freaked out. You know what I mean? They pronounced him dead. This person has come back. And, and uh, it got on national television. <laughs> and uh, so it, it caused a little bit of a stir. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know what the count is right now. And it's not huge. But probably seen about 25 people raised from the dead. Um, so far. And I actually think that resurrection should be normal um, among people of faith. I do. I mean, if you think about it, that's the whole point. But I'm not necessarily saying that everybody in here should raise the dead, but, you know, you could start with a house plant or something or, you know... One of, our, one of our prophets, his, his son's hamster died while he was at school. And he was so concerned because he loved this hamster. And he gets home from school and he's like, uh, I'm sorry, man. Fluffy died or whatever its name was. I don't know. We'll, we'll use Fluffy. And uh, his son walks right over, picks him up, starts commanding life <laughs> into this hamster. And I'm not kidding. It comes back alive. And he's like, Hamster, I know you were with Jesus, and I'm sorry to tear you away, but I just wanted to say goodbye, and I love you. And he set the hamster back down, and it slipped back into hamster glory. (laughs) I'm like, train them in the way they should go. (laughs) Okay. I want to I speak from the Word just a few moments about resurrection this morning. Um, because I was thinking about this. See, I had an encounter with the cross of Jesus Christ. I realized that even as a pastor, I started preaching at 15 years old and traveling all over and uh, toured for seven years as a professional musician. And that's where I got to lead a lot of people to Christ and then served as a youth pastor and worship leader for 20 years. And, and in all that time, I came to realize that I actually was relating to the cross from the wrong side. I was relating to the death side of the cross rather than the resurrection side of the cross. And, and I was still saved. I was still a Christian. I was still seeing amazing things. But I would have to say that my position with Christ was more based on my spirituality than his. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I thought I had to do all these things to bring revival. And I didn't realize that. Revival is the person of Christ inside of me. Revival is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's manifesting the risen, glorified Christ inside of you. And so, like, good things happen, totally saved. But I had this encounter with the cross that just totally changed my life. And, and I, I call it learning to live on the right side of the cross. I, I have a, a whole series on this, but... Um, but I was thinking about this verse in Romans 10, 9 and 10, where Paul says, And the word of faith we are preaching is this, that if you believe with your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the tongue he confesses, resulting in salvation. I love that verse. I'd had that verse memorized for a long time. But 
I was kind of fascinated after my encounter with the cross how the word of faith we are preaching is this, that you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, okay? And confess that God raised him from the dead. Like, wait, where's the cross? It's interesting that the word of faith is centered around the resurrection even more than the cross. Because I had a death fixation with the cross. And I had a death fixation with my Christianity. I was always trying to die to self. I was always trying to, you know, achieve the level of righteousness that would release the keys of revival and and all, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's because when you live on only the death and dying side of the cross, you will have a death fixation. And you'll have a, a sin consciousness way above your God consciousness. But the word of faith that we're preaching is that if you believe in your heart Jesus Christ is the Son of God and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. With the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the tongue, he confesses, resulting in salvation. He's like, this is it. This is the seed form of the transformational message of the gospel of how a very few people turned the world upside down. And I think we miss some of the keys that are embedded in this. As a matter of fact, you know, in the book of Colossians, it says, uh, let me pull it out. Uh, Colossians 2, 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sin. All right, I think sometimes we miss the, <laughs> the point of what's being said. By the way, I love that your testimony wall is fuller than your wailing wall. <laughs> I know you're a people of faith by how big the testimony wall is. It's like, wow, the reaper's overtaking the plowman here, you know. It's beautiful. But anyway, in that scripture, it says, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive together with Christ. And, and this is the beautiful thing. I think most Christians have their clock set wrong. Have you ever had your clock set wrong? Like during uh, uh, daylight savings, have you ever done that? Where you, you forgot to reset it? It's kind of different with iPhones and everything now. Or whatever phone you, you, you whatever inferior phone you use. <laughs> I'm apostolic, but you can be whatever you want. But, but, you know, back in the day, you have to go through the house and change all the clocks, or you'd miss church. You ever show up at church an hour early and, like, maybe the rapture theories were. <laughs> or an hour late for church. I mean, some of you do that anyway. It's not your clock. It's your internal clock. Or perhaps your value system. But let's not go there right now. <laughs> I'm leaving soon. I'm good. <laughs> but, but a lot of Christians have their clock set wrong, and this is how they have it set wrong. They have a present tense relationship with sin and a future tense relationship with resurrection. But Scripture puts you in a past tense relationship with sin and a present tense relationship with resurrection. And I don't think most Christians know that or believe that or receive the benefits of that. It's like they live in this present tense struggle with sin where it's like, oh, I do all this stuff and I, I take it to the cross and he, he takes care of it. And, and, and you know what? That's good. Like if you got stuff... Take it to the cross. Like, I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying this. Like, sin is not your nature anymore. Like, it, it, it's not who you are. And, and, and when you try to, when, when you believe that you're just a sinner saved by grace, then you sin by faith. 
Because that's your belief system. That's the reality that you are creating to surround your life. But Scripture clearly says, not just in Colossians, but many places in Scripture, it says, when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your heart, God made you alive together with Christ Jesus. And what I found, you guys, is I got off the identification bus too early. I got off the bus before my stop. Do you hear what I'm saying? The identification bus, what is that? It's that in Corinthians, he says this. He said, we are convinced that Christ died for all, therefore all died. So again, the cross of Jesus Christ was a mass murder. It wasn't just one person who died. Everyone in the world died on the cross with Jesus Christ. And if you can identify with your death upon the cross through the person of Jesus Christ, then you're not only forgiven of sin, you're freed from the power of sin. And so I came to that reality of the freedom that was mine in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, and then I got off the bus. Woo! I'm free. Yes, thank you. And I gloried in the cross, and I celebrated the cross, and, and I'm telling you that what Matt Redman sang in a song, we've only heard the faintest whispers of how great you are. That is so true about the cross and the death and the resurrection. And, you know, then I, then I figured out that baptismal, like I need to go further because baptismal is the identification with the tomb, with being buried with Christ, which I was told it was your confession of your new life in Christ, which is like partially true, but half-truths is what the devil uses. <laughs> I want the whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so help me God. So baptism is your identification with the burial of Christ. Why is that important? Because until you're buried, you can be resuscitated. No, it's true. People resuscitate people on the operating tables all the time. People die hundreds a day that they resuscitate, you know. But once you put them in the ground, it's over, Rover. You know, like, you don't want to come back in a casket. That's a horror film, right? So what is baptism about? What is a funeral about? What's a funeral about? Listen, we lived near a military base for a long time. And during several of these wars, um, mothers and dads whose sons and daughters were killed and their bodies weren't recovered. Do you know what happens to those parents? They think they see them everywhere. They're like, because they didn't get the closure of seeing them put in the ground. They, they know it, that they're gone, but they have a hard time reconciling, like, that closure. So it's like they see a glimpse, and it's like, is that? And they live with this haunting, and that's how most Christians live, because they haven't understood baptism. It's like, well, I believe I'm dead, but... I think I saw me. <laughs> I think I saw my old man over there. <laughs> you know, like baptism is the finality and the closure of the death upon the cross. And then the identification with resurrection is this, that yes, your bodily resurrection is still a future reality. Please don't think I'm taking that away. There is a bodily resurrection that's even going to be more glorious than right now. I've already got my order in for what my new body will look like. So does my wife. <laughs> Just in case that whole marriage thing we have wrong in heaven. But, um, but, uh, there is a future resurrection, but what we're missing is the present tense resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And guys, that's what I'm here to proclaim today is that actually the centrality of the gospel 
is the belief in the resurrection. And it's like, how centered are you in resurrection realities? How, how much have you known Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life? Because what happens is, on the wrong side of the cross, you get your bills paid. But on the right side of the cross, you get your checks signed. See, on the wrong side of the cross, you, you relate to the Lord on the basis of your failures. That's why you went to those churches that would preach it hot. And they'd preach a new sin every week because the only way you could feel God was through conviction. But that kept you a beggar. That kept you always coming to God as a beggar rather than a son and a daughter, rather than a believer. And so you came as a slave. You came as a debtor. You came as a beggar. You came unworthy. And you'd limp your way to the cross, but you kept coming back for more of that abuse because conviction was the only way you knew how to experience God. That's not sonship. That's slaves. That's beggars. That's debtors, and we are forever indebted to Christ for the work of the cross. It's true, but we're not living on the debtor side of the cross. You're not living on the beggar side of the cross. If you do, your clock is set wrong, and you're going to miss the meeting. I'm not saying you're not saved or you're not going to make it to heaven. Of course not. I'm just saying you're not receiving the benefits. You're getting your bills paid when you could get your checks signed. And your check sign is this, Lord, I need wisdom. And so I come back to what Christ has done for me. Lord, I need healing, and I come back to what Christ has done for me. I don't have to fight for victory. I fight from victory. I'm living on the right side of the cross. I've already been made alive together with Christ Jesus. And I've got to get my sin self on the cross with Jesus so I can live in my resurrection reality and I can begin to experience new life now. Resurrection power now. And God wants to breathe resurrection life into your marriage, into your business, into your body. God wants to breathe his resurrection life into you. And he wants you relating to the resurrection as much as you have related to the cross. That's fundamental Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10, I just quoted. The word of faith we're preaching is this, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus raised from the dead. Ephesians 2, 6, and God raised us up with Christ seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Colossians 3.1, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now again, I'm not saying that there's not a future body resurrection. There is. That's Definitely true, but there is a current reality that we seem to not be taking advantage of. The resurrection is not just a future truth, but a present tense reality. And it's a part of the born-again experience. And so Paul prayed that you would grasp something. And in Ephesians 1, he said this. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the holy, in his holy people. Now, are you hearing? It's building up. He's building up to something. He's like, hey, I pray that you're going to be enlightened to know the hope that he's called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand uh, in the heavenly realm, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come and God placed all things under his feet. 
What was Paul praying? He was praying that the church of his day would understand the resurrection reality. He was praying that the church would be enlightened to see, listen, you didn't just die with Christ. You've been raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Too many of our prayers are from earth to heaven rather than from heaven to earth. When you pray from heaven to earth, you're already praying above the authority that stands against you. You're already positioned in the place above every power and authority that on earth is standing against you. But if you're not aware of your resurrection reality, you're not praying with that authority. And so you're not seeing the level of victory that you were actually made for, created for. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. There's a quickening power of the Holy Spirit when we live with the resurrection reality. In you, on you, through you, you become a carrier and a manifester of resurrection realities in any situation, and therefore you have hope. Paul's declaring, I want you to understand this incomparable power that lives in you because it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Listen, raised with Christ means that eternal life does not start the moment you die. It starts the moment you believe. So many people are thinking that uh, when the scripture says, since you've been raised with him, set your mind on things above, it's like, Oh, it'll be glorious one day. It will. I've been there. <laughs> it's, it's more amazing than we could ever comprehend. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, since you're seated in heaven, think like heaven. He said, since you're seated in heaven, then set your heart on things above. In other words, feel like heaven. Catch the heart of heaven. And even as Jim was making statements earlier about our political position, which is actually right now the yeast of Herod has infected the church. It's a political spirit that has divided us and caused us to be nasty and ugly. And Jesus warned specifically about the yeast of Herod. Don't let that in. How do you not do that? How do you have a heart for a government official that you don't agree with? It's pretty hard to do here on earth, but it's not hard to do seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when I know my resurrection reality, then I'm looking from that perspective. I'm setting my mind on things above. I'm setting my heart on heaven's perspective rather than earthly perspective. You know, I was talking with a guy named Harold Eberly. Has Harold been here before? Harold uh, was sharing how tens of thousands of Muslims were getting saved. And uh, this was two presidencies ago uh, when President Obama was our president. And, um, and I just want to say I, I was so happy that a black man was the most powerful man in our nation. I think that was a beautiful, awesome, powerful thing. And I was wholly in support of it. A lot of his policies, I didn't agree with. And unfortunately, I kind of let some of that yeast of Herod infect me, and I was against him in that sense. And I was asking Harold, Harold, you've been doing this for years. Why do you believe... You're seeing so many Muslims saved. And he said, I think it's because of President Obama. I said, what? He said, well, you know, his father reportedly was a Muslim. And he said, but he said, I'm a Christian. And he said, whether he is or not doesn't matter. What matters is this. There's a saying in Islam. My father was a Muslim. I am a Muslim. He said, when the most powerful man in America says, my father was a Muslim, I am a Christian, he gave permission to a generation of Muslims to give their life to Christ. And he said, 
I believe that's why I'm seeing thousands and thousands of Muslims coming to Christ. And I'm like, I don't know anything. I am an idiot. I am a moron. I've been looking at this from earth and not from heaven. And there is a heavenly perspective that is shaping the earth and transforming the earth that I was totally ignorant of because I was not setting my heart fully on things above, but considering them in my earthly views. And this is what we're talking about of the resurrection. That first of all, the resurrection power of Christ is a present tense reality. It's already in you. It's already on you. And through it, you have already been raised together with Christ Jesus so you can get heaven's thoughts and heaven's heart on your current reality. See, raised with Christ and seated in Christ means that you can now live with heavenly perspective and heavenly authority. And finally, raised with Christ means that the spirit of resurrection lives inside you now. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Remember how Mary and Martha, when Lazarus had died, they, they said, if you'd been here, he had not had died, you know? I'll tell you what, one of the symptoms of not really believing in the resurrection the way we're supposed to, like I know you believe in it, but it's this. It's a come and do prayer rather than a go and do prayer. Jesus, if you'll, will you come and do? Will you come and do? Will you come and do? But that's not the apostolic mandate that we have. The apostolic mandate we have is go and do. The same things I've done, you will do. So go and do. And even greater things because I go to the Father. And here's the thing. Like, we pray and we sing, come and do, because we believe, Lord, if Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And, and Jesus is saying, if you knew who you were, it wouldn't have happened. If you know who you are, but you have a come and do rather than a go and do mentality because you've not understood that you've already been raised up together in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean we do everything perfectly and we do everything powerfully. No, but we could start. (laughs) We could start. Like it takes a while to renew your mind in this. And there's still loss. Listen, there's only one gate to heaven currently, and that's death. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the way you get in right now. And so, are we going to beat it every time? No. And you know, half the time, honestly, even as I've prayed, there have been times when I saw the door open, and they just weren't willing to come back. And I, I'm telling you what, the glory that's there makes it very, very difficult to come back. It doesn't mean you aren't loved or that you aren't valued. It's not difficult to get a resurrection. It's difficult to get a volunteer. (laughs) Because once they've tasted, man, it's it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. It's very self-sacrificing to come back to this reality after that one. This is the Jesus that you carry. This is the gospel that we preach. This is the resurrection reality that is right now. And if we would believe it in a fresh way, I believe, if we believe it in a biblical way, I believe that we would see greater fruit in our lives. And it's been wonderful getting our checks signed, but it's time to get, I mean, our bills paid, but it's time to get our checks signed. It's time to start living off the heavenly blessings and benefits that Jesus purchased for us not only in his death, but in his resurrection. So, Father, I thank you today that, Lord, anyone in this place that has not really known you as their Savior, I thank you that right now you're awakening their heart to the reality of salvation. Oh, Jesus, all the angels rejoicing, even as they are pondering their their new man, that, Father, Angels are leaning forward with excitement. Heaven is leaning forward in anticipation of your choice, of your decision. 
And so, Lord, we call forth that word of life, that word of salvation right now, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, Lord, for those of us who have embraced and loved and gloried in the cross of Jesus Christ, but kind of got off the bus, Lord, we just hop back on the grace bus. We hop back on the identification bus, and we ride it all the way to the throne of God. And, Father, right now I pray, like Paul prayed, that our eyes would be enlightened, Lord, to the incomparable grace and riches exerted in Christ Jesus that is like that power exerted when God raised Christ from the dead and set him high above all powers and principalities and every name that could be named. Father, awaken that reality within your church. Lord, may we be a people who live in the strength of resurrection reality. And Lord, in this room right now, we breathe resurrection life into marriages that are failing. Lord, we breathe resurrection life into businesses that are failing. Lord, we, uh, we breathe resurrection life into families that are failing and into bodies that are failing. And Father, we thank you that resurrection is a now reality and we are the carrier. And Lord, we will not just ask, Lord, will you come and do? But Father, we will go and do what you've called us, anointed us, and appointed us to do. And we will do it for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Bless you.